Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, What will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, You have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, Fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. We're three weeks deep in this Sacred Rhythms series that's going to carry us through the month of June. And I just want to recap for those folks who haven't been with us the first two weeks a little bit. You see, we're talking about what it means to follow a spiritual path. And we're basing that off of some ideas that Eric Erickson, or my buddy Eric Jr., uh, liked to characterize as the stages of psychosocial development. Now, he's talking about the stages through a lifespan, but we think that we can also zero in on a certain stage of your life and see kind of a mini cycle at that stage and zoom in from there and there and beyond. And so, even though we might all be at different stages of our lifespan, we have something to learn from each stage of the cycle. And it's not just social or psychological, it's spiritual as well. In the first stage, we're, we're talking really about a call to adventure. In early childhood, we experience this as needing to ask questions about risk and safety. Can I put myself out there? Who will have my back? Is it okay for me to actually explore the world and become someone, something? Spiritually, we ask these questions anytime we embark on a new adventure in our faith. Is it safe? Can I risk what I have already? Will someone be there to guide me, to love me? Can I rely on God to bring me into a new spiritual cycle, supported and understood? Then once we have established that call to adventure, we say yes, we go for it, we jump in. Now we're in the stages of adolescence and early adulthood, where the questions are around identity and love. Can I be loved? Am I capable of loving others? And last week, we spent time with the love story of David and Jonathan and with the identity story of David as a young person to understand more deeply those questions and how they have a lot of spiritual implications. Who am I spiritually? How can I invest in myself to have the love of God pour into me? Am I worthy of that love? Am I able to receive that love? And can I then pour that out into intimate relationships and community and even perhaps church? But once we have moved through those two cycles, once we have a little bit of that sense of who we are, that we are firmly on this spiritual adventure, and that we have some companions for the journey, we are invited into the next stage, the one that we're talking about today. 
Now, in Erickson's development, he talks about it as middle age or midlife. And as soon as I say midlife, probably at least some of us are thinking midlife crisis. And it's true that in developed countries, in countries with lots of wealth, that there is this surprising data that shows a kind of U-shape to people's experience of happiness. That as we are born, <laughs> we are very happy when we are young. And that kind of declines and declines and declines until it reaches the very bottom in, the, in our middle age. And then miraculously goes right back up all the way until the end of our life. So what is that about? Why is it that we start out on the journey and even if it's hard, even if it's confusing, even as we are wondering who we are, somehow in that cycle, we start to lose some of that happiness. What is that crisis about? Well, according to Erickson, we are faced with a conundrum in the middle of our life or the middle of a cycle, which is the choice between what he calls generativity, that is making your mark on the world, or stagnation. Now, stagnation is a danger at any point in this cycle. Whenever we get caught at one stage and can't move through it, that's when we start to feel constricted. That's when we can't grow. And God is inviting us to grow always, to create new opportunities for us to open ourselves up to life and love and to the kingdom. And so when we stagnate, when we cut ourselves off from where God is taking us, that's when we start to, uh, to really just sort of stew in our woundedness and we're unable to heal. We're unable to heal ourselves, the world around us, and it becomes incredibly painful. And so I think that that is an indication that this time of life or this time of a cycle, it is especially difficult to not get trapped. Now the trap here, the trap of stagnation, is fundamentally one of choosing oneself over the world. In the early stages, we are required to choose ourselves. In the early stages, those questions are fundamentally self-centered. Can I risk it? Is this something that I am called to? What's my identity? Can I be loved? Can I love? But as we take a turn into maturity in our spiritual cycle, we are invited to kind of turn the corner of our own viewpoint. Are we simply navel-gazing, or can we broaden our scope to start thinking about the whole world around us? Generativity is about accomplishing things in the world. It's about making an impact beyond yourself. Whereas stagnation is simply uh, failing to contribute or refusing to engage the world around you by disconnecting with the world and only remaining connected to yourself. So we have a text today that I think really illustrates this point well. Jesus is uh, teaching and someone from the crowd is asking him, Hey, Jesus, my brother and I have this dispute. Uh, I want him to divide his inheritance with me. So can you set him straight? Can you just tell him to do that? And Jesus is having none of it. He's like, I'm not, this is, I, I don't care about this. I'm not here to, you know, handle your dispute. And then he turns to the crowd and explains why. You see, Jesus has an analysis of what's going on between these two brothers, that they have reached a stage in their development where they should be turning towards the world, and yet they're turning even more inward and saying, well, what about me? 
What do I get? What do I get out of it? So Jesus offers this parable. He calls it greed, saying, watch, you know, watch out for this greed in yourself. And he says, there was a rich man's land that produced a lot of crops. So this rich man is getting richer. And so he asks himself, what am I going to do with all of this bounty, all of this abundance? I, I don't even have a place to put all of this. And so he thought, I know what I'll do. I will build down my barns, and I'll make bigger ones. I'll just make bigger and bigger and bigger storage units. And that way I can store everything, and I'll be so rich, and I'll, set for, I'll be set for life, and then I can treat myself and take it easy. And then uh, that night he dies. <laughs> and God sort of says, okay, so, you know, how were all your storage bins? That seems, you know, seems to have worked out well for you. And Jesus just sort of ends it there and says, that's how it'll end for you if you are hoarding things, if you are greedy and you aren't rich toward God and uh, by implication, God's creation. Now, a lot of times at Zao in particular, we are doing the work of reorienting Jesus's words to the material world. There are a lot of people who want to hyper-spiritualize and say like, oh, that's not really about money. That's about wealth of spirit. And we're really firm here in saying like, oh, no, no, that's about actual wealth. <laughs> the accumulation of material goods uh, for one's own storage purposes so that you can have a surplus, which always comes at the expense of another, is greed, it is sinful, it, it, it claims to serve the self but doesn't even do that. It just wastes God, uh, God's abundance. But I think that we can look at this text and say there is more than one thing going on here. That in addition to this critique of capitalism, this critique of surplus, of hoarding, of greed, in a material sense, that Jesus is talking about the way that we live our lives. That when we seek only to feed ourselves, there comes a point of diminishing returns. If we are getting so much richness out of our world that we then need to say like, oh, I'll put that in the backlog or, oh, I'll just, I'll sit back and treat myself, then there is a turning point that must come when we say, how do I stop focusing primarily on myself and start turning toward the world around me? Because I have an amount of spiritual riches that belong to the kingdom and Perhaps instead of just watching my own back and saying, I'm going to make sure that I always feel loved. I'm going to make sure that I always have identity. I'm going to keep pouring into myself. We say, oh, I may have an abundance here that could offer spiritual richness and wealth and support to so many who are in need of knowing that they are loved of discovering who they are in the kingdom of God, of building a world that is better for all of offering solidarity so that others feel less alone and are better resourced to build the kind of structures and systems that could bless everyone. In our early stages, one of the metaphors that was helpful was looking into a mirror and saying, how do I see the real me? But at some point, when you can see enough of the real you, we need to shift our focus from the you in the mirror to the context, to the setting, to who else is around you. And those questions that come before it, 
Can I risk it? Who am I? Am I lovable? Am I capable of love? These are questions we can go on asking forever. And at some level, we should. We should continue exploring our identity. We should continue uh, searching for love and offering our love in intimate relationships with others. But there does come a time when we have good enough answers that we can turn at least some of our energy, perhaps most of our energy, away from ourselves and see the whole of creation around us and start asking the question, what am I doing about it? What impact am I having on the world? How can I leave this world different than I found it? And those first questions around identity and love, they can act as a kind of blueprint. Who you are and who you love and how you are loved should inform the kind of impact you want to make in the world. So you have those answers in your very identity and core relationships. The difficulty is to do it to shift from investing only in ourselves and our narrowest understanding of our spiritual journey to taking a broad view. How does my journey impact others, impact the whole? So if we go deeper into Eric Jr.'s work, we can learn a little bit more about his ideas of generativity and stagnation. Generativity, he says, is about changing the world by caring for other people, by creating things, by accomplishing things. And generally, it's accomplished by making commitments to other people, by developing broad and deep relationships, by mentoring others even, and creating opportunities for the people who are coming up behind you on the spiritual path. Stagnation, or when we struggle to do this, usually comes from being too self-focused, failing to get involved with others, failing to see our own capacities to lead others or to offer others our strengths, and not taking any interest in other people's concerns. And so some of the ways that we can engage with the world around us, some of the suggestions from this uh, psychosocial framework about how to keep moving, how to keep gr growing in the love of God, developing into maturity, as people and as spiritual beings. One is to give back to those who come up behind you. Who are the people in your life who are still wondering about who they are or if they're capable of loving and being loved? Can you offer support to them? Are there folks still pondering their call to adventure, still unsure if the spiritual path is for them? Do you have wisdom to offer to them? Are you able to create pathways for them that make the adventure more accessible, more connected? Another is feeling included in something bigger than yourself, a community, a project. This is essential to the work of generativity because it's about moving beyond that sense of pouring only into oneself and saying, I'm a part of something so much bigger than me. Now, that could be a movement, the movement for justice, the movement for black lives, that could be a community project, um, that could be Zao um, and spiritual community, that could be a small group you're in, that could be a network of friendships that you're pouring into. But essentially seeing yourself as part of a larger whole and starting to identify with that is a move around that corner into spiritual maturity. 
How can I pour not only into myself, but into myself as part of a larger whole? How can all of the richness that I have gathered so far on the journey bring richness to those people and communities and projects I love? Feeling included in something, finding a sense of belonging, it's the first step to actually making an incredible difference in the world around you. The third part might be the most intimidating. Taking responsibility for impacting the world or your projects or whatever it is that's larger than you. Now, in those first two stages, we may not feel capable of that. And in the, this third stage, we are challenged to find our capacity, to find our sense of responsibility, to say, I actually do have enough within me to give back. And that can feel really confusing after years of saying, is it even safe to try this? Or is it, is it the place for me? Am I who I think I am yet? How do I become who I want to be? To make that shift into saying, I'm actually a part of this and I'm responsible for it. This place has been changed for my being here. This place would lose out if I didn't contribute. Taking responsibility for the impact you have on other people around you is an incredibly important part of this spiritual journey. And then to solidify that, it's being able to see the impact of what you've contributed to, knowing that you made a difference in the world because of your choices. In, uh, in Tyler Sitt's book, Staying Awake, the one that we're reading in Echo, which, by the way, you're free to drop in on any given week. This week we're going to be talking about Sabbath. But he was writing about justice and worship. And I think of worship, worship of God, as, as connected in a lot of ways to these first two pieces. Discovering what's there for you. Discovering the ways that God pours into you. Discovering the spaces that help you understand who you are in the eyes of God as a lovable, beautiful child. And justice as some of these questions of generativity. How are we building the kingdom? How are we transforming the world around us? Tyler says that worship without justice is self-serving. Now, notably, he says that justice without worship is self-destructive. And that's something really worth honing in on at this stage of life. That even though we are called to that, that uh, pouring out into the world, that we must always be receiving. But it's about a mature connection that becomes reciprocal. Rather than only receiving. Rather than being primarily concerned with receiving one's spiritual blessing. It's about understanding that reciprocal relationship between the ongoing blessing of God and community and spiritual practice and the blessings that you are then able and capable of pouring out. That you can stop serving only yourself, but serve the world. And that you can do that without being ruined, being destroyed, being totally worn out as long as you are connected to those communities pouring back into you. In this process, in this turning of our spiritual maturity, we are called to ask, what is our legacy? What impact are we having on the world? And one of the really powerful ways that I have seen this framed um, is is portrayed by Daniel Heath Justice in the book Why Indigenous Literatures Matter. 
He names one of the four deep spiritualities of Native American life as be a good ancestor. It's, it's a way to think not only of honoring the ancestors who come before us, but being worthy of that for generations to come. How can you live your life in a way now that makes you a good ancestor to those who are coming after you? What legacy will you leave for them? He writes, If anything, that's the true wonder work, the truest realization of being a good ancestor and one worthy of deepest gratitude, imagining beyond the wounding now into a better tomorrow, working, writing, and dreaming a future into being. How does this spiritual stage call you into dreaming a new future into reality? This is the core of the gospel as Jesus talks about it. The kingdom which is already and not yet. The kingdom in which we are inheritors but also builders and workers. That we contribute. The questions of this stage are how does your spirituality call you into the world? How is the world different because you were here? How are the people coming up behind you impacted by your faithfulness? Can you look to those earlier on the path and help them along? Can you create structures and systems and dreams for them to build on once they arrive where you are now? Or are you just building up treasures for yourself? Now, this plays out a lot in church communities. In American church culture and in Christianity generally, there's a lot of consumer energy that really focuses on just those first two parts of the journey. And people often become disillusioned with church, not for the many good reasons there are out there. I know many of you have excellent reasons for becoming disillusioned with church, which involve trauma and wounding and the inadequacy of the church to see the full humanity of God's creation. There are lots of good reasons to leave churches. But one of the most common is to simply become a little over it because you've gotten everything you can out of those first two stages. And there's this energy of like, well, I'm not getting what I need anymore, so I'm out of here. And maybe that's true. Maybe the church um, can't offer you what you need in those moments, and it is best to move on. But so often, I think people are actually moving into a stage where they are called on to grow, to move beyond consumption to contribution. They're being called to turn that corner, to say, hey, I have loved receiving in this earlier stage of my development. As I was forming an identity, as I was forming relationships, God, it felt good just to be poured on, to receive love and nourishment. And I'm not getting that in the same way anymore. And it can be really confusing. You can say, oh man, I, I felt so alive, so loved, so, so immersed in my self-discovery at that stage. And so I'm not getting that anymore and maybe I can find that again somewhere else. But that's that stagnation. And you may need to leave to, to go on to that stage of generativity. But it's still an indication that perhaps you are called into a different stage. To move beyond consumption and self-nourishment into contribution 
into giving back, into a, a building phase, a, a working phase, a leading phase. Some of the ways that I think people can continue to grow in their faith, if you're not getting a lot out of small groups anymore, is to start leading one. If you are not feeling very rich in your prayer life, to find someone and meet with them regularly to pray for them or to make it known in the community that you would like to pray for others, maybe join the prayer team, and to shift your prayer life from being only about you to being primarily about something bigger. If there is a gap, if there is something you are longing for, if there is some sort of dissatisfaction in your spiritual life and you think you might be at this stage, then perhaps you are being called not to abandon this spiritual cycle or to stagnate or to go backwards, but to actually start creating something in that gap, something that is for you and for so many more people. This is literally how Zhao came to be, by the way. I had been spiritually nourished by a lot of people in communities, but I was getting discouraged. I wanted to go to church someplace that would hold all the parts of me, in my queerness, in my transness, in my passion for justice, in my radical left politics. I wanted a place that was on fire for Jesus and understood and embraced people like me and the call to build the kingdom in the way that I understand it. And there just isn't a lot of that in the world. And I eventually realized that my disappointment in the church, my longing for that and my my feeling of emptiness that I couldn't find it was actually an indication that I was called to turn a corner and to start building it, to start leading it, to start bringing it into being, to start imagining it into the future, to create it for those who were coming behind me, who had that same longing and could build on it and make something even bigger after I was done. This is our community, y'all. And this is the taking responsibility part of the cycle, that scary bit where we're thrust into the deep end now that we have learned to swim. And now we get to see where we're going. You matter here, and your dreams can change reality, and that is what you are called to do at this stage. Because our God is not one who wants us to be passive individual consumers of the kingdom. There are gifts for us abundantly, and that will always be true. But as we are gifted, there are calls and invitations to build, to dream, to create, to give away. Y'all will have some opportunities this summer, especially (laughs) as Cameron and I are on leave. Church communities have these tasks a lot anyway. But I told Cameron when we were discussing our dream to grow a human, that I didn't think that we could have a human baby until Zhao was out of diapers. Which is to say, Zhao needed to progress as a community past these first couple of stages and into a place of generativity. And I believe that we have as a community. We have taken so many risks to come into being. We have built a communal identity. We have created a space for love. So now, what are we building here in this church community for those who have yet to discover us? 
What impact are we making on the world that is driven by our faith and passions and leaves a mark beyond the identity of Zhao? How are we building the kingdom today for generations to iterate on and build on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? This is well beyond me and Cameron now. Y'all are in it. <laughs> and my guess is that you will, especially over this summer, but in the years to come, see and feel gaps in what we have. You may feel disappointment that we don't have this ministry or this um, event or that we're not meeting a certain need of yours. Even this summer, you may be feeling, I wish we had game nights again or, or the beach parties we used to have. I wish Cameron or Jonah were able to talk to me right now and pray for me in crisis. I wish kids ministry was up and running again. And when you have those feelings in the midst of your grief for what could be, wonder to yourself, is there an invitation here? Is God highlighting for me a gap in the kingdom that I could build something in? Do I have enough spiritual and communal wealth that I can start something, that I can pour back in, that I can create the kind of love and community that welcomed me so that so many others can be welcomed in and keep building? What could happen at Zhao or in my community or in the whole world because I turned toward it, because I said, yes, I am here. Let me bust open my, my, my barns. Let me let the grains pour out into the world and let us see what grows. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you have given us more than enough. I pray that when we have any amount of wealth we are called upon to pour it out into the world and we see it grow and multiply in your economy of generosity. God, help us to fill the streets. Be with us today as many of us fill the streets in the Black Lives Matter Pride Parade March. Be with us wherever we go and whisper to us with love about the ways that we are called to build the ways that we are called to pour out, and the fruit that can come of it. God, make us good ancestors to those who come after us. And may we do so with your love. Amen.